1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. It's Leonard Kim, and today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Arthur Ciamori. Uh He's read about eight books. Uh, he's uh, worked over at Harvard. He's uh, done a ton of different things in his life. And uh, currently he's releasing a new book called The Soulful Leader. Uh, Dr. Tsumori, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, sure, Liz. I'm Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. I've been a clinical psychologist for 35 years. As you mentioned, I've been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. I was the chief psychologist at Metro West Medical Center in Massachusetts for 25 years. I also uh, was the director of their alternative medicine center for several years as well. The last 10 years, I've been in private practice exclusively and writing. So The Soulful Leader is my latest book, and I look forward to discussing it with you.
1: That's awesome. So how did you kind of get to this place that you are today, Um, going out there, working at a prestigious institution like Harvard, all the way to having uh, your own private practice for the last decade and spending so much time writing and working on eight entire books?
2: Well, you know, Leonard, I always had a private practice. Uh, I worked in the hospital, and then in the evening, I would always have a few patients. So at a certain point, I decided to go into full-time private practice because Uh, I was getting um, a little difficult to do both, and my private practice continued to grow. And I've had uh, three leadership and communication groups that have been ongoing for over 30 years with a lot of business leaders, executives, and so forth. So I decided to uh, devote my time exclusively to the practice and the group programs. And also, I started to write more. I wrote The Stress Solution a few years ago, and... um, I just wrote this book, The Soulful Leader, which has only been out for a few weeks because I am so incredibly concerned about where we are in our culture in terms of the amount of toxicity in our corporate leaders, in our political leaders, and, you know, Americans, over 60% of Americans say they believe this is the worst time in our culture in their lifetime. So um, I, I have grave concerns about the direction we're going in, and I think we're, Americans are longing Soulful leaders. In, in fact, I think people throughout the world are longing for soulful leaders.
1: I can understand how frustrating it is, especially since about sixty percent of the culture feel, or sixty percent of the population thinks our culture went to the wrong direction. Uh, what do you think are some of the contributing factors of that?
2: I think that we have substituted status and image for character and connections. I think we have grown to be a culture that places less emphasis on character and far more emphasis on the bottom line. You know, the soulful leader is about AIE leadership, authenticity, integrity, and empathy. And I think what I'm trying to show, and many studies show, that when you lead with authenticity, integrity, and empathy, you, you make people happy. You change their brain chemistry. And when their brain chemistry is producing neurochemicals that make them happy, they're more creative, and creative people are more proficient and more productive, and profits go up. And we know that that's true from a number of credible studies. But I think in America today, you know, we, we have got lost in what I call performance addiction. It's, it's the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will bring love and respect. It's an irrational belief system that begins in one's family, and it's reinforced by cultural expectations. We, we have become so obsessed with what we look like and what kind of status we have, and actually believing that will bring a person love, because all human beings want to be loved and respected, not only in business but in their personal lives. But I think when you have performance addiction, you have this belief system that's just mythical, because really what brings you love and respect is how you conduct yourself with other human beings. And in business, when you conduct yourself with authenticity, integrity, and empathy, you gain the most respect, and you gain people who really want to work for you. They can't wait to come to work. They're, they enjoy coming to work. Currently, we have 70% of Americans say that they wake up every night, every night because of stress with their job. And they say that 70% of Americans say they wouldn't even dare ask a leader a question because normally they're responded in such demeaning, critical ways that they've learned just to keep quiet, not even talk about it. So if we're in that atmosphere in our corporate world, and we're certainly in that atmosphere in our political world, you know, in in politics people lie every day. We're we're filled with lies in the media. that People are uh, quoting statistics that we find out later aren't true. We don't have a model of people who are soulful leaders, who have high character, high integrity, high empathy, and again, and, and also great listening skills. And when you have those skills, people want to be around you, people want to follow you, people want to work with you and for you.
1: I can definitely see how um, huge this problem is, especially because, I mean, most people are raised thinking that they have to climb up the corporate ladder, once they get into the workforce, they feel that they have to do anything to get ahead, they see yeah. other people clawing people down, and it's really a huge culture thing where everyone's like thinking, they're all fending for themselves trying to get to the top, yeah. and yeah. I I could see this being a widespread problem across a large area, probably the entire United States. and. It makes sense that caring and empathy and things like that are what are going to change it, but when the culture is so embedded with so much uh, of this kind of activity and it's been going on for so long, how is that going to like change?
2: Well, I, I think it's beginning to change because as we see more studies coming out of the business schools. You know, Harvard Business School has done studies showing that leaders who relate with warmth are far more effective than leaders who work with aggression and fear, that leaders who work with warmth and integrity actually change brain chemistry. You know, we produce the near miracle neurochemical oxytocin, which when you produce that and people involved with you, it reduces anxiety, it helps people live longer, it promotes a sense of common well-being it increases generosity and empathy, it protects against heart disease, it lessens inflammations. it reduces craving for addictive substances, it creates a bonding and an increase in trust of other people, and most importantly, it decreases fear and it creates a feeling of security to speak, to be open, to share your ideas. And in your personal life, when you give and receive empathy, you produce this numerical neurotransmitter oxytocin, which makes people feel open for love. It makes them feel safe. Conversely, when you relate with aggression and fear, you cause the stress response in people, in your employees, in your family, whoever you're relating to. When you rule that way, you cause the stress response, which releases the stress hormone cortisol in your system. What does cortisol do? It causes negative thinking, weight gain, inflammation, hair loss, breaks down muscle tissue. It causes flabbiness, depression, anxiety, and it actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. And it's one of the key hormones that involves weight gain because it throws off blood sugar levels in our bodies and it, cre- and it enlarges fat cells, which creates a desire for addictive substances, sugary, sweet substances, or drugs. So, we have one way of relating that causes a brain change that causes many negative consequences. We have another way of relating that causes a brain change that causes many positive consequences that leads to more creativity, happiness, and increased profits.
1: So, one of the things that you mentioned is uh, cortisol and how that goes up when you uh, lead with empathy. Uh, the uh, other side of it is you get all the negative traits with the other uh, symptom. But one of the things is, like, a lot of people, when they're in an environment that's kind of, like, toxic or in that uh, in a way where it's uh, everyone trying to move up, how do they go out there and spread empathy when everyone else is acting in a different way?
2: Well, you, you have some decisions to make. As I mentioned um when you relate with anger and fear, when you're a leader who, who leads that way, you create you cause the stress response and the release of cortisol with all its negative consequences. When you relate with, relate with empathy and integrity, you do the opposite. So what if you're in an organization where people basically lead by aggression and fear? you still need to use your empathy because empathy is everyday mind reading. It's being able to look beyond the surface and understand the character, the beliefs, the values of who you're relating to. You know, empathy is, is the is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It, again, allows us to have a great assessment tool. So when you have empathy, you have to kind of know who you're talking to. And you you can still try to express empathy to your customers, even though the leadership may not be that way. But if it continues to be toxic, and we know now that business leaders, uh, the trust in business leaders in our country is at an all-time low. Unethical behavior is at an all-time high. So if you're working in one of those organizations with AIE leadership and you realize it's next to impossible, then it's time to think of moving and finding a different organization. Sometimes we have to make a, a decision to change. And I know that can be threatening and difficult for some people, but your health is going to be compromised if you stay in an organization that's toxic. Uh,
1: I can see the uh, need to go out there and change environments if something's very toxic to be in to begin with. Uh, but when you go and look for a new company to work with, there's a. Uh, It seems like a 60% chance that you're kind of falling back into the same situation and it's kind of difficult to really figure out what the culture is like at a company until you actually start working there. Um, How would you go about like figuring out what kind of organization is a good place to work at?
2: Well, I think you should read a great deal about it. You should try to talk, use LinkedIn, try to talk to people who are working in the organization. But in the end, it comes down to your own assessment tools, your own range of empathy. There's no capacity that's as as important for understanding not only who to work for, but who to get close to in personal relationships. Because, again, empathy allows us to understand the character of a person. We can can tell when we expand our capacity for empathy, when people are being authentic and when they're pretending, when they're faking it, when they're not being truthful. And we have to take our time to assess that. If you go into an interview and you're extremely anxious, your empathic range is gonna be very limited. The key to empathy is slowing down. You know, empathy is objective and it's always focused on finding the facts. So we have to practice every day of our lives using our empathy to understand who we're relating to. And, you know, that's what my communication and leadership groups are focused on, and that's what I tell a number of poignant stories in the soulful lead of the book about how to develop this skill, because we need to keep finding out what our biases are, how we misperceive, and accept reasonable feedback from other people that we value, that we trust, that we realize are fairly objective. And we all need to keep learning where we don't see clearly, it's sort of like somebody who you know, goes through a divorce and, and they're in a relationship in another four weeks because they're so desperate to find somebody. Or you lose your job and you take the next job in the next two weeks without really evaluating the package that, that you're being given or assessing the people you're going to work for. Empathy slows down everything. It's not a, it's not a quick reaction. It's a slow, thoughtful, methodical way of understanding who you're interacting with and Paying attention to verbal and nonverbal cues. When you learn to do that more and more, you have a much better idea of what kind of company you're walking into.
1: So the whole process really requires slowing down and analyzing everything and just taking it all in as opposed to just walking straight in and just getting what you're dealt. Um, I know a lot of situations in my life, I was at a point where I was at a... extreme low and I didn't really know uh, to look for other things and I just wanted to hop into the next opportunity just to kind of set things straight and I think with that limited opportunity of going out there to look at what was going on I probably caused myself to kind of fall back into similar types of situations Uh, when you're kind of in a desperate place how do you get that empathy to go and stop and pause and reflect on everything?
2: Well, when when you're in a desperate place, and, and Leonard, we probably all have been there. I mean, everybody has gone through difficult times, most likely. Um, we need to be around people that are soulful. You know, identify the people that can help us. We need to borrow someone else's empathy until we develop more of our own. And And that's what a soulful person does. They love to tease out the potential of other people. You know, when people come to me or they come to one of my leadership and communication groups, they often think I'm going to point out what's wrong with them because I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm not at all interested in pointing out what's wrong with them. I'm more interested in uncovering what's always been right with them that they've never known, that it's been hidden by old conditioning. You know, if you grow up being told that you're, you're, you're not intelligent or you're not attractive or you're not athletic or you have no musical talent, we all believe what we, what we, what we come to see early in our lives because... We don't know who we are when we're young. It's like, it's like we're looking into the mirrors of the significant others in our lives, and whatever they tell us, we tend to believe. As adults, we have to rewrite that story, because I think we all grow up with a novel in our minds about who we are. But we need to get reasonable feedback from other people that we trust and value to find out who we truly are. We have to make that novel a nonfiction book. So when you're struggling, you need to rely on the empathy of other people. That's why close friends are so important. That's why connections are so important. That's why having people in your life with really good character is so important. Because when we're not there, we need to rely on the people that are there.
1: That's completely understandable. It seems like it's time for a commercial break. Uh, so anyone who wants to learn more about Dr. C., you can check out The Soulful Leader. Is there anywhere else to find you online? Yes, my
2: website, Leonard, Leonard, is balanceyoursuccess.com.
1: Perfect. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break.
0: sustainable success is just around the corner if you are an entrepreneur business leader or anybody looking for their next level of success tune into sustainable success with host chris salem did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago the path you started on then determines what is happening now Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get Amplified. Guarantee, it will be the best hour of your week.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree.
1: And we're back. Uh, This is Leonard Kim, and we're with Dr. C. We've been discussing the soulful leader. A lot of the things that we covered is why empathy is so important. Now, there's different characteristics and traits that uh, someone who has empathy carries. And um, I think uh discovering what these are is something that a lot of the people who are watching or listening to the show really want to understand would you be able to cover like how you really go out there and um discover these things and uh, what traits you really need to work on
2: well Leonard the sulfur leader is a person who is lives with purpose and expresses a desire to be of service to others he or she is not primarily motivated by status or image but has a natural interest in making the most of all the people they encounter. Sofa lead lead with passion. They're intimately aware of the structure of their organization. They're interested in motivating from what I call the bottom-up, not the top-down. They know who cleans their offices, who mows the lawn, who fixes their computers, who serves the food. They know the secretaries and the names of the receptionists. They speak to everyone, and no person is seen as less valuable than anyone else. Soulful people lead balanced lives also. They work with intensity, but they play with abandonment. They they also know how to turn down the dial. And they have what I call a dimmer switch. They're not always living with intensity. They know how to lower the, the dial down and calm themselves when the situation calls for it. They have an inherent love of young people. They love to educate, to witness the blossoming of young talent. And, most importantly, they're the voice of reason in the face of conflict. They're not quick to react. They're rather thoughtful contributors. They know how to listen empathically, and they're generally interested in understanding not only those who are like them, but also those who on the surface seem different. They're known for finding common ground. They take in information from diverse sources. They expect to continue to gain information about themselves, their world, and the human condition throughout their lives. And they expect to revise theories and change perspectives as new learning takes place. They're not wedded to one way of thinking, one way of being, or one way of leading. You know, they realize and they accept that in order to live a healthy, high-achieving life, they must adapt to change. And they're constantly faced with new situations that require adjustments. They understand that those to whom they are closest will also grow and change, and they accept that other people will involve, possibly in different ways than they may have initially wished, but they, they respect individuality. So they, they basically live their lives with an open heart and an open mind, and diversity because they realize that a diverse group is a much more effective group than when you're just preaching to the choir and everybody seems very similar.
1: When you kind of describe this, what I really think about is my grandfather. Uh, When my grandfather raised me, and I remember, like, being in second grade at the school cafeteria, like, he, he would volunteer there and he would treat everyone with love and respect. Like, people looked at him with kind of starry eyes because at any time they needed to turn to someone to talk to, he'd always lend them their ear and listen mm-hmm. intently to every single thing that they said. Uh, whenever mm-hmm. someone needed help with a project around their house, he'd be happy to go over, get out his toolkit and just go over and help. And he just wanted to be there for others. And when I kind of think about his life, he was an extremely happy person. He was very satisfied with what he was going on. A lot of people actually loved him. And he kind of struck a chord in many people's lives. And when I fast forward, uh, there's not many people who are kind of living in that same lifestyle that he was, where he was going mm-hmm. out and giving and doing all those other things. Mm-hmm. And It it makes me wonder if what's changed has to do something with the uh, generational gap from like my grandfather's age to maybe my parents' age where things may have changed and shifted into a more... Uh, who could get more stuff who could have the bigger home who could have a bigger mm-hmm. sibo and things like that and then today we're kind of in this area where everyone's just trying to show like how happy they are and it's created this uh, new world where people are just um, showing who's happier and then you pull up maybe like an application like Instagram and everyone looks like they're living the l- best life possible but then it's kind of all like a facade where no one's really that happy. And then when you open up an application like uh, Instagram or something, it just uh, kind of takes a hit at your soul because you're just like, hmm, I'm not as good as everyone else. Everyone else seems to be happy on vacation all the time and doing all these great things. And sometimes it makes us feel less than others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what What do you think about... Um, how are societies come, do you think it's come into a place where we're just trying to one-up each other in regards to like happiness levels, success, and all these other things? And um, how, how does empathy and be, becoming a soulful leader play into that? Well,
2: I think your grandfather sounds like a wonderful man and I think he he was happy because he was giving. You know, we're in a culture now where we think we can produce happiness by pursuing it directly. Happiness is a byproduct of giving. It's a byproduct of being a good, decent human being. And it sounds like your grandfather was that person. You know, we know when we give to the others, we create what's called helpers' high. It releases feel-good chemicals that produce happiness and joy. And so many people think that if if you just catch the rabbit, you make more money, just like you said, Leonard. You have a bigger house a fancier car that that's going to make you happy it doesn't work that way those are all wonderful things if you enjoy them for the right reasons but if you think it's going to produce happiness or increase your self-esteem you're sadly mistaken happiness comes through, through doing meaningful work to taking care of yourself so that you're in a place where you can give to others and that's what soulful leaders do they create organizations where people love giving to others they love contributing they love being of service sounds like your grandfather was that kind of man. And when you lead with authenticity, integrity, empathy, as a leader, you cause positive brain changes in in other people and in yourself. You create that spirited atmosphere that naturally allows for productivity and financial gain and market results obviously rise when you're conducting yourself that way.
1: So just curious, let's say you work in a negative environment and you go out there and you start leading with empathy, authenticity, and integrity, and then you just go and do your own thing. Does that kind of become contagious where other people kind of uh, begin to lead with authenticity and empathy? Or um, is it kind of like you're in your own lane and you're swimming by yourself while everyone else continues to do uh, what they were originally doing? Well, I think human beings
2: really want to want to give and be of surface. I think it's in our DNA. So I think it's seldom that all people are leading that way. But I'll give you an example. For instance, I worked in a hospital for 25 years, and I had my own department. And <laughs> we were a local community hospital. We were the only hospital that was owned by the town in the United States. The town actually owned the hospital. But then there came a time when the when the town sold the hospital to a for-profit hospital chain that was very bottom line driven and and people were complaining all the time about how much you know they wanted us to see more patients squeeze more money out of each department on and on and on but in our own group i had 33 psychologists psychiatrists social workers working for me we conducted ourselves differently we were able in our own department to conduct ourselves in that with authenticity integrity and empathy So even though the structure we were working under was, I would say, in some ways toxic, in our department, in our section of what we did, we were not conducting ourselves that way. It made it a lot harder for ourselves because obviously we had to report to those folks. But we still went back and treated the patients the way we always wanted to. We didn't change who we were. Obviously, over time, I left that environment because I felt that I could be of of more use in my own private practice with my own groups, where I didn't have to report to that hierarchy. But I still know people in that organization who conduct themselves with, with high integrity. They figured out a way to do it. I mean, obviously, it's a large system, so and there are many sections of that system, and like there are in large corporations. I mean, there are certain departments that conduct themselves with ethics and there are other departments who don't. And you can actually work for a soulful leader in a company, especially the larger companies, where the people at the very top may not be, but maybe the leader that you're reporting to is. So there's a lot of variables at work, especially in larger organizations.
1: So when it comes to most large organizations, I I, I mean, just because of how the landscape's been so far, everyone's kind of had to, like, claw with their fingernails to get to those high positions. And usually, most of the time, a lot of these leaders at big companies aren't the people who carry integrity, authenticity, and empathy. And when everyone's kind of at the top and they're driven by the bottom line, they're looking at uh, spreadsheets trying to figure out how to increase profits, they're looking at figuring out how to cut costs. And chances are we're going to have to enter into a situation where we're in a company that has a leader of that type um, because that's just how most of the landscape's been built so far. How do we find people who are soulful leaders to really move into those positions and replace the other ones who've been there for such a long time for one and two, uh, What's the best way to deal with someone if you're a soulful leader, but then your leader might not be?
2: Well, the the one thing that's important is that when you have to interact with someone that you know is toxic, you do not ever want to go down the same drain that they go down. They'll, They'll tend to lie, slander, name call, and you don't ever want to do any of that. You want to take the higher road and always focus on the facts. Empathy, as I said earlier, is fact-oriented. What's happening in our country, though, there is another movement. For instance, there's another movement that is happening where companies and corporate leaders are having people like me come and talk to them. I mean, I, I went out to Idaho not long ago and spoke to 100 CEOs and CFOs, and they were all from the major companies. I mean, why would they come to listen to someone talking about soulful leadership? They came because they're beginning to realize that they're going to be happier And their employees are going to be happier, and their profits are going to increase if they lead that way. So there is a sort of underground movement that's taking place as well. You know, companies who won the Corporate Health Achievement Award outperformed the S&P 500 by 500 points. And and there's a, a, a consulting group in England that examined over 500 companies in America and in England to see which ones have empathic environments. And the ones that had empathic environments had twice the profit than the bottom ten. So more and more company leaders are realizing that leading through aggression and fear is not helpful. It's not, it, the, the people realize when they're taught in particular, that's why I have these leadership and communication groups, they realize that they're not happy. They can't sleep at night. They tend to have insomnia. They have high stress. Their relationships tend to be very poor. Many of these corporate leaders and political leaders are high achievers, but they, they know little how to make intimate, positive relationships, and normally their personal relationships fall apart. You know, when I gave this talk to, to these CEOs and CFOs not long ago, there was a 76-year-old man who came up to me after the talk. I spoke about this book, The Soulful Leader, <clears throat> and he said to me, hey, you ruined my day. And I said, what do you mean I ruined your day? And he, his eyes were moist. I could see he was tearing a little bit. And... He said, I'm 76 years old. I own seven companies. I'm a multimillionaire. I have two sons who I sent to private, private high schools, private colleges. I gave them uh, expensive cars, uh, unlimited credit cards when they were in college. They're both married. I have two daughters-in-law. I have four grandchildren. I see them once a year. Everything you said relates to me. He said, I thought money and achievement was everything. I thought they would love me for what I gave them. And what I realized from what you're saying is I never knew how to connect to them. And as he, as he teared a bit more, he said, is it too late? I said, no, it's not too late. You need to go see them. You need to take the time to go see them. You need to apologize and tell them you gave them all you knew, but you didn't know anything else. And you want to learn a different way. It's not too late. But here you have a man who has everything financially, everything money could buy, and yet he he can't even he doesn 't even get visited by his own sons their own and their families and he he caught the rabbit, he has the money, he has the big house, he has the vacation home, but he doesn't have love, and he doesn't have a lot of friends either. I found out later
1: Wow, it must be really tough to live a life that way where you don't have friends and you don't have love and I see how heartbreaking that could be for someone. Uh, Well, it's time for another commercial break. Uh, Where could people find you again, Dr. C.?
2: BalanceYourSuccess.com. That's my website, Leonard.
1: Perfect. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break.
0: sustainable success is just around the corner if you are an entrepreneur business leader or anybody looking for their next level of success tune into sustainable success with host chris Salem. did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago the path you started on then determines what is happening now Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify featuring host Ken Roshan, This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get Amplified. Guarantee, it will be the best hour of your week.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome back to the last segment of Grow Your Influence Tree. It's Leonard Kim, and I'm here with Dr. C. We've been discussing the soulful leader. Uh, One of the things that we came up as a topic of discussion was what kind of happens when you go down the path of just pursuing those financial needs and getting everything that you ever want. And how that could sometimes result in not having the things that you really need, which is like friendship and love and what it could really do to someone. And um, when you think you're going down the right path, but you're really going down the wrong path, what ends up becoming the result of that? And it makes me really wonder, like, if we're going out there and we're pursuing these uh lifelong successes that uh, have been uh, portrayed to us as the golden ticket, and that's the wrong thing to do. One thing is to become a soulful leader, but the other side of it is to build a soulful organization so everyone could kind of operate within the same realms of going out there with authenticity, integrity, and empathy. How do we go about building a soulful organization?
2: Well, Leonard, a social organization starts with with a leader who is empathic, a great listener, highly ethical, with high integrity, authentic, humble yet confident, happy yet intensely serious when needed, which results in employees being committed to their organization's vision when the leader is present and when he or she is absent. You know, if you have good business sense, you'll command your employees' attention, but those qualities won't be enough to keep them invested and committed. But if you are empathic and a great listener, you will have them invested in you ongoing. They'll remain committed to your, your vision. You know, No leader can exemplify these qualities all the time, and you can't expect employees to do that either. But when you acknowledge, when you make a mistake, and then you're truthful about it and you learn from it, you create a learning environment of integrity and empathy that really motivates people to do the same. And one of the ways that you know if if you are a soulful leader is that when you're not present other people are acting in the same way because you have become the model it's like when you it's like your grandfather your grandfather taught you certain qualities that i would guess you wanted to exemplify you wanted to be like him because you saw how happy he was making people and that probably has a lot to do with the work you do so your grandfather isn't here at this moment but you're telling you told a story about him today and you told that story because it, it lasts in your heart, it's still there. So soulful leaders create organizations where people conduct themselves in this way when they're present or not, because it's a way of being that becomes very very much in the marrow of their bones.
1: <clears throat> I, I can definitely see that, especially if the leader's going out there and just leading uh, in the authentic way, it's going to leave a lasting impression And that does make a lot of sense. Uh, So when you're going out there and you're leading with empathy and you're trying to build an organization like this, I know a lot of people just really talk about, like, the good things. And a lot of people really feel that talking about, like, the bad things that are going on is, like... um, I guess not something that's recommended like it should always be focused on like the goals the good things and everything positive that's going on but what about like the bad things that happen and the ugly things that happen is that something that should also be shared because it seems that only good things are being shared when um you're at work unless you're having like a performance review look
2: um i i gave an example um to one of my groups the other day and I I don't know Warren Buffett. I don't know him very well, but I have two examples. I I wrote about (laughs) in the book where one of the CEOs in a local corporation here that's quite large in the Boston area, he was on MSNBC at a time when the the market was was not doing well and he was asked by investors were they going to make their profit prediction for that quarter. He said, absolutely. (laughs) Well, that quarter... Their stock price went from $110 to $5.40. And every time he teaches now, he says, the one thing I never learned was to say, I don't know. I should have learned the phrase, I don't know. In that same period, Warren Buffett was asked, should people invest in Berkshire Hathaway? His answer was, I wouldn't buy Berkshire Hathaway right now. He said, the dot-com era, all this money that people are making, he said, frankly, I don't understand it. So I, I'm going to sit on the sidelines because it doesn't make sense to me. And probably it does to other people, so you might want to look elsewhere. Now, Warren Buffett got tremendous uh, – he, he, he was admired greatly for making that statement, where my other client, who is that the CEO said, absolutely, they're going to make their profit prediction – Um, He said people hated him. He was getting hate mail from investors, even from friends and employees, because he knew they weren't going to make their mark. But he was always thought that you always project optimism. What about projecting just the truth? If all he had to do was say, you know what, I'm not really sure. The market's in transition. I can't really predict. I would be very careful. And, And everything would have been okay, just like what Buffett did.
1: Huh. That, that's kind of an interesting perspective there, especially since Warren Buffett had both sides of the situation. And then from your client, you get to understand the first-hand nature that happens when you go out there and lead with optimism. And I think the higher in an organization a person is, uh, the more that they kind of believe that they have to go out there and lead with authenticity or not authenticity but lead with optimism because they have to make it seem like everything's going okay and the startup community especially a lot of companies are kind of at the edge of making it or breaking it all the time just because of how volatile everything is and A lot of the leaders at these companies are like, yeah, everything's going forward. Everything's going great. Then sometimes a month or two after, they'll be served that they're getting evicted from their building. They'll be served that they're running out of cash. They'll have to shut down immediately. They'll have to go and do tons of different layoffs. And then it's like this false picture is being portrayed to their people. And um, I, I think they don't share that because they don't want their employees, their customers, and everyone to be scared of what's to come because there might be difficulty because that could potentially cause a lot of different problems, but because they don't share, when the bad news comes, it also causes kind of like panic and fear and just things going sour. So – if people believe that it's going to be bad in both situations, how, how does someone go about like sharing those hard truths?
2: Well, good leaders tell the truth, just like a, you know, a good spouse uh, or a, a, a good parent. Um, if, if a wife asks a husband, how are we doing financially? And, and he keeps the, the facts from her and he lies about it um, because he's afraid of, he says, well, I didn't want to stress my wife. Then she starts to not trust him. When you lie, whether it's to someone in your personal life, and we see a lot of lying going on in the corporate world and and a prolific amount of lying taking place in the political world. But when you lie, you, you, you record an indelible ink in the mind and heart of the receiver forever. People never forget who's lied to them. This CEO that I was talking about—I mean, this was happening at, at you know 15 years ago—and people are still talking about it because it cost them a lot of money. But what about even in personal relationships when people lie to you? It's like an employee coming to you and saying, "You know, Leonard, am I going to get a bonus this quarter?" "Oh, absolutely," and you know there's no money for a bonus. Rather than looking at the person and saying, "You know, Frank." Um, it's touch and go right now. It, it doesn't look like we'll be giving bonuses, but I'm not absolutely sure. I wouldn't count on it. People are going to respect you more when you do that. That's why some of the studies show that individuals in the corporate world will work for, will work for companies for 10 to 15% less if they're treated in this way. If they're treated with integrity and respect, they'll take less money because they're happy and people want to be happy. When we're not happy and we don't believe in the people we're, work, we're working for, and we know they're directly lying to us, there's a there's a tendency to resist working and also to undermine them. I've seen people in my consulting to corporations where people undermine leaders even when their bonus is dependent on it, because they can't help it. They don't want to make that person look good.
1: Huh. Yeah, I I could see people undermining others, especially when uh, they're getting jealous of everything. And I I think from this entire conversation, one of the things that I've noticed is people's tendency is to kind of go out there and lie, and that's like their uh, natural instinct. Um, And it's kind of what automatically our brains kind of go to. How do we stop that? Well,
2: I think that we have we have to realize that lying hurts yourself and everyone else close to you. There, everyone gets caught in lies. I mean, look at what's happening in the political world now. I think people even forget what they say. One minute they're saying one thing, and then another minute, another next day they some, say something else because they're always spinning and lying. It, it's a poor character trait, and you don't ever want to be working for someone if you if you can prevent it. Or, particularly, ever get in a close relationship with someone who lies because you can't yeah. trust them. And it produces negative brain chemistry. It produces the stress response. You don't feel comfortable when they're telling you a certain something because you know you can't rely on it. You don't know. It, it, it kind of drives people crazy because you don't know if today you're getting the truth or not because you know the person has a propensity to lie.
1: Uh, it kind of makes sense if you're someone in an organization and you're coming across the soulful leader and you already have touches of like authenticity, integrity, and empathy and what you do to kind of want to pick up this book and learn more and potentially lead this way. Um, is there any hope for the people who go out there and lead with like um, an iron fist, who lie and do all these things, to ever become soulful leaders, or is that just the way they are and the way they always be? Well,
2: I, you know, the, the the old theory was learning that we're hardwired. The, the truth is, we're really softwired. I, I've seen people in their 80s and 90s change the way they be, their perspective and and what they believe. So it's all possible. But I think when you make authenticity, integrity, and empathy a central part of your life, you have to be the change, and you'll cause a ripple effect in your homes and in your organizations. But you always want to remember, it's not not a theoretical change. It's an active process. You have to put empathy and AI leadership into action. If you do so, you become part of making a better world and a better organization. And remember, AI leadership is infectious. I've seen it. Once you start leaning, it's it's like it's like people catch your cold. Once you start leading that way, other people attach to it because it's the best of what human beings have to offer. It really is the best of what we have to offer, and it's very hard to resist being in an environment like that once you have the experience.
1: So what usually happens is one person starts uh, becoming a soulful leader. Then as time goes by the people that they influence start picking up the traits, then it just has this ripple effect where it just continues to grow?
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely infectious and it definitely has a ripple effect.
1: So the uh, main way to really go and build a soulful organization is really just to become that soulful leader and then it automatically all comes together?
2: Yes, Once you want to practice those qualities whether you're in a position of leadership or you're reporting to a leader because on some level we're all leaders. I mean, at some point I have to teach you something, you have to teach me something. Even if we're all working in IT together and we're all being paid the same and have the same title, my expertise may be a little better than yours. Maybe I'm going to teach you a certain something, you're going to teach me a certain something. But do it in a way where you incorporate soulful leadership, authenticity, integrity, and empathy. And that will become infectious in whatever group you're in. And we see how often it becomes infectious in families. You know, the families that treat their children this way, they're the, they're the families that kids always want to be at their house. Why? Because it's contagious. It, it, our, our souls long for it, and that's why we attach to it so quickly. And we attach to leaders like that as well. Think of um, Desmond Tutu, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, people that, uh, uh, you know, um, Des, um, um, you know all, the, all the leaders that have made a difference in the world with great spirit. Like Walesa in Poland, when, when the Soviet Union had, took over Poland, a plumber who became the president of the country. Um, you know Nelson Mandela, a person in prison all those years, and then becomes the president of his country. People love these people because their integrity and character brought out the best in other people, and it's irresistible.
1: Wow, that's absolutely amazing. It seems that if you go out there and lead as a soulful leader, it has a rippling effect that could kind of uh, maybe even move people into the history books. Dr. C., I wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing your vision of the soulful leader. If anyone wants to pick up the book, is it at bookstores everywhere?
2: Yes, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, online. Uh, It's on on the Amazon Kindle as well, and you can order it through my website, com as well. And thank you very much, Leonard. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, anytime, Dr. C. Thank you so much for being on the show today and everyone who's listening. Thank you for joining another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.